You're listening to Wiretap with Jonathan Goldstein. Today, Canadian content. I have very little sense of place. I have a terrible sense of direction and very little memory for the physical detail of places I've been. I pass most of my life as though I'm floating upside down in a jar of formaldehyde. One moment I am here, and then I am there. You're always either here or there, or you're on your way to here or there, or you're inside a shopping mall, and all shopping malls look alike, no matter what country you're in. Although I was born in the United States, I have dual citizenship. I am both a Canadian and an American. As a child, crossing the border from Quebec into New York was a time of high anxiety. I never knew what to say I was. I would often say I was both. And one time, a crusty old border officer on the American side told me that I was not both, and I should never say an impossible thing like that again, that a man was one thing or the other, and that an American man was born American and would die American. When I lived in the States, many of the bizarre or eccentric qualities in my personality were attributed to my being a Canadian, and so being a Canadian became a kind of social safety net. One time when I was working in Chicago, I accidentally overflowed the office coffee machine and had to go and get a mop from the janitor's closet, making me feel like the sick kid in grade school who had just vomited. And when people gathered around to see what was happening, a sympathetic clerk I worked with explained to the growing crowd that it was not my fault that I was, quote-unquote, from Canada and had no experience with American coffee machines. But the thing about being back in Canada is that there isn't any excuse for my more bizarre behavior. There's no one who can absolve me of social gaffes and inexplicable non-sequiturs with the erasing words, he's from Canada. When living in the States, I would get asked all the time by Canadians, what the biggest difference between Americans and Canadians is. And out of all the various things I've seen, and this is of course a gross generalization, it's the way people ride the bus that stands out as the biggest situational difference. If an American bus driver driving an American bus passes someone's stop, that American passenger is bound to yell out, Yo! Yo might be the most un-Canadian word I can think of, and a Canadian would never use it. A Canadian might pull down on the cord and ring the bell harder and faster in an increasing panic, but the word yo will never escape his lips. But that's the thing, and this might be what at heart makes me more Canadian than an American. I'm always trying to see the difference between us and them. It's one of the ways that we as Canadians define ourselves, by saying we are not American. We are different. And piling up these differences, in spite of our many similarities, becomes a matter of national pride. Despite our geographical and ideological proximity, the very words Canada and America evoke completely different images and feelings. If there was a show on U.S. radio called Sounds Like America, you'd be thinking all-star extravaganza, the sounds of James Brown and Liza Minnelli, a guest appearance from Big Bird, while Sounds Like Canada makes you think more of the sounds of blowing wheat, bagpipes, or Mr. Dress-Up. And these are good things, too. They're just different.
all my life I'd been like warned about the the horrors of the American healthcare system. Like I remember my grandfather, he would say to me, you know, in America, if you can't pay, the hospital turns you away. That's how they get rid of the poor people. I met Americans who incurred like fifty thousand dollars worth of debt over something as natural as having a baby. So when I moved to Los Angeles um, for work at the age of thirty-two, naturally I was a little concerned, right? You know, in America, you pay for your own health care. I grew up in Canada, never paying attention to my health or well-being. And then as soon as I crossed the American border, like I think about it over and over and over, and sure enough, I developed a severe heart condition. It was never officially diagnosed, but I mean, you know, who needs medical professionals when you have Google, right? I noticed that it started around the time I started watching American news. Like, it had never occurred to me that every person in America had a gun under the front seat of their car. You know Charlie's Angels, the mm-hmm. show, the TV show? Yeah. You know at the beginning of the show where they show the girls training at the police academy? Mm-hmm. I live right next to that police academy. And in the afternoons, I can hear, like, the sounds of gunfire coming across the shooting range while they practice shooting. At night, like, helicopters fly over my apartment and shine their lights in my window. My next-door neighbor... Their teenage son has the word murder tattooed on his neck. So, you know, I begin to get really, really stressed out. My heart begins to, like, slam every time I leave the house. So I'm telling myself, okay, this heart condition, it's all in my head, you know. Mm-hmm. It's a direct result of the stress of living without health coverage. So eventually I managed to qualify for insurance coverage, and it makes me feel better. I noticed my heart condition sort of disappearing. So I said, look, to my, all my American friends, I'm, you know, if something goes wrong, I'm insured. Yes, yes. So they roll their eyes at me in that way that American people love to do, oh, the poor, naive Canadians. When you're insured in America... It doesn't mean that every procedure is covered. And then for the ones that are, you still have to pay a portion of the fee. And then in America, health is a matter of what you want the insurance companies to know and what you don't want them to know. And if you have to go to the doctor, you you really need to make sure that you're really sick before you do. In Canada, did you ever have any symptoms of, of, of heart? Like, did you have any heart problems? None. Zero. What are some of the symptoms? I could be laying in bed and my heart will just like start beating really, really heavily in my chest. And I'm sit- I can sit there and go, it's psychosomatic, it's psychosomatic, and it wouldn't stop. Eventually it got to the point where my heart would stop altogether and then kick in after two or three beats. You, so at you, that point I decide, okay, I better go see the doctor. You, you would feel your heart stop beating? Yes. I drive to Hollywood, and I parked my car, like, on a side street several blocks from the emergency ward. You know, if I was going to go to the hospital and have to give them all my money, I just, I didn't want to pay for parking on top of it. I go to the registration area. There's a girl behind the desk. She walks over to see what I wanted, and I could hear her shoes on the hospital linoleum go click, click, click. She says, can I help you? 
So now that I was there at the hospital, and you know, physically there, like faced with the task of having to explain my very vague symptoms to actual medical professionals, I was like totally embarrassed. So I say to her, look, I probably don't need to be here. I said, it's just, you know, I'm having heart palpitations. She cuts me off. She says, do you have your insurance card? First thing she wants to know. So I hand her my insurance card. She reaches um, for this form and begins to fill it out. Her blouse had these like weird flouncy sleeves. They flounced when she wrote, and she had to, like, flick back her cuff and hold it with her non-writing hand. So she's writing, holding back her cuff and writing out this form. And, I, like, I, I don't even know if I'm supposed to be here. So I say to her, look, I'm from Canada. I've never been to the emergency ward in America. Can you tell me how much this visit is going to cost? She says to me, I can't discuss cost with you, sir. It's against the law. So I ask her, when is it discussed? She points to the wall behind her, and she says, once you're back there. Ten minutes later, my name is called over the sound system. It's a man's voice. And so I decide I'll just I'll follow it down the hall. So I go down the corridor, and there's a man sitting at the desk. He has a stethoscope around his neck. He pats the chair. He says, sit yourself down. So he says, what can we do for you today? And I tell him, well, I'm, I'm having heart palpitations. He takes my vitals, you know, blah, blah, blah. He writes on my chart, heart palpitations. So I'm getting nervous, and I say, you know, I don't mean to be crass, but um, when does the money talk happen? He says, the money talk? So I say, I've never been to the hospital in America. It costs money, right? He says, well, of course it costs money. You know, if I said I was a crack addict or a schizophrenic, you know, he would have some notion of my concern. You know, there's, like, procedures in place for crazy people and junkies. There's no procedure for being Canadian. I don't think it would be overestimating to say it was, like, two or three hours. I'm just sitting there. No one comes to see me. So I'm really bored, and I decide to invent a new game. I discover that if I hold my breath that it makes the readout plummet down to zero. So as I'm sucking in deeply and holding it, I could see like there was an orange respiration line that slowly dwindled down to zero. And if I held it long enough, I wondered if it would set off an alarm at the nurse's desk. So I'm holding my breath. Finally, I can't hold it any longer. There's no alarm goes off. So I gasp in, I'm sucking deeply so that my respiratory reading turns back to normal. I turn around and the doctor has been watching me from the foot of the bed. Having fun, he says. I'm looking at him, and I can I can see him like making mental notes to write in his file. Patient is faking. So I try and play it cool. I say to him, um, you know, well, I haven't really felt any heart palpitations since I've been here. And this guy, he's like a very severe-looking man. It's like being treated by an American eagle. So he slips his stethoscope under my gown, and he presses it to my chest. He says, there, I heard one. Your heart just skipped. Did you feel it? And I honestly hadn't. But, you know, there was no denying that, you know, he made me nervous. So I thought, you know, maybe I thought maybe this is a test. I said, yes, yes, I felt it. Right, he said. Right. And he leaves. 
From the far end of the ward, I could hear the unmistakable sound of click, click, click on the hospital floor. It's flouncy sleeves. I can see she's holding a clipboard now. Mr. Leaving, she says, are you able to pay any of your charges this evening? How much are the charges? She gives me a figure. It's like it's a substantial amount of money. And as I'm mulling over the figure, you know, I, I understand now why it was illegal to tell me what I might be expected to pay before I was treated. You know, with an actual money figure on the table, there is no way I would have even gone to the hospital. I would have turned around and gone out to my car and had a heart attack. So I reach into my pocket for my wallet and I take out my visa, which is just the strangest thing for a Canadian to do. So I kind of joke with her. I say, you know, if I'd known how much it was going to be, I, I would have gone on a shopping spree at Ikea or something. So now that she's, you know, now that money has changed hands, she's, you know, she can be her normal 20-something self, like her job is done. And she says, well, better safe than sorry. So I walk back to my car now, and it's dark, and the light from the street lamp was hardly enough to see Anyone could have jumped out at me, you know, a crazed junkie with a knife, some pimp. I'm striding to my car. I'm like, you know, jamming for the keyhole in the dark, and then I slam the door behind me and then slam on the electric locks. I'm sitting there in the car after seven hours at the hospital, and I can, I can feel the blood, like, pulsing in my fingers. And my heart is racing again, just like it had that afternoon when I thought I was going to have a heart attack. And I told myself, I said, no. Chris Levins, you are not going to have a heart attack. This is America. Hey, Howard, how you doing? I'm okay, man. How's it going? Good, good. I'm, you're still doing the show, right? The CBC show? Wiretap, yes. Yes, I am. I know. I'm always trying to keep an eye out for, I don't know, good stories, like good Canadiana. Yeah. I so I, I I was just at my favorite ice cream parlor, mm -hmm. but it's right next door to a bookstore. Mm -hmm. So I get a big banana split with green tea ice cream and halva, and then I feel kind of comfortable going to the bookstore. It's a second-hand bookstore, that's why. And um, anyway, I was eating my ice cream in the bookstore, uh -huh. and I overheard... Uh, these uh, chaps talking, and I'm sure they're, you know, second-hand bookstore. These are no pushovers. These are, like, you know, these are intelligent people, I'm sure. Yeah. And there was this whole thing. I've never heard about this before, but there's some article written in some magazine, uh, New York Magazine or something, some Times Times Magazine. The New whatever. York Times Magazine? Yeah. Anyway, so they were talking, and they were saying that there's some guy, uh, they say, like, I, I don't remember the guy's name. It was, like, it was like Paul Ruff. Uh, Paul Tuff? Because I, 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 he, he, he writes for the magazine, I know. What's the guy's name? Paul Tuff? Maybe. Anyway, so they were saying that there was this, some article, and there, I, I just, it just got, you know, caught my ear. Mm -hmm. And they're saying basically how, how Canada is kind of helping, like, they're, they're doing a project to kind of help people in Harlem. And I thought that was really interesting. Like, like you know, they, they had the interest to go and really go help with this other community in another country, and I thought that would be an interesting story. 
I mean, have you ever heard about this? Like Canada's program to help Harlem? It it, it doesn't it doesn't exactly sound right to me. It, are you sure? Maybe you you didn't miss here because the idea of like Canada having any involvement in Harlem it it, it sounds a bit weird. No. I don't see why this would be something kind of like, you know, hard to believe or, uh, you know, I mean, we're really, you know, a helpful nation. I don't get it. I mean, like, this is, I mean, this is a real thing. I mean, I, I know you like when I do, like, the funny stuff, you know, mm -hmm. like, you know, but I mean, this is like a real, you know, I can, you know, use some support on this. This is a real, you know, groundbreaking news story. Like, you know, like Woodburn and Fernstein. Like, this is the real thing. You mean, you mean uh, Woodward and, and Bernstein? Yeah, yeah, the guys with, the, with Kissinger there, whoever he, they... Yeah. I want to know about it. And I don't know. If I wasn't sitting in the bookstore, I'd have no idea that we're doing such a thing. Okay. I just need a little bit of support on this, and then I can go. All right, all right. So, yeah? Okay, you got my support. Yeah. I've, I've never seen you so hopped up about uh, a social issue. Why don't you, uh, tomorrow afternoon, I'm free, come on down to the CBC studio and uh, we'll call up the author of the article, all right? And uh, we'll get to the bottom of it. But do me a favor, okay? Before you come down here, go down to the newsstand and actually read the article so you have all the facts before you talk to him, okay? I'll do it. I'll, I'll do it for you mostly. But, you know, like for myself in my life and what I would have accomplished, you know, I, I, you know, not that I'm knocking it, but, you know, Reading hasn't done a whole hell of a lot for me, personally speaking. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm a child of the streets. You know, I, I, I learned it on the streets. You know, and what are you talking about? How can you call yourself a child of the, of the streets? You grew up in the same suburb I grew up in. Well, we have streets. When you're sitting in a in your in your bedroom, you know, lying on your tummy with your knees bent, playing with your hair, reading some book, you know, like I'm out there, you know, talking to the grocer, or I'm talking to the beat cop, or I'm talking to the, to the, to the, to the okay, dealer. Okay, fine, but I'm, just read, okay. read the article, okay? I think he's better than me because he's some kind of big shot writer, journalist type, and I'm going to show him that Canadians are a proud nation that listens to the heartbeat of the street. Okay, Howard, um, so you, you, are you all set? I'm all set. Okay, we're going to get him on the line now. Um, so you've read the article. Uh, yeah. You got all your notes? Yeah, I got all my notes here. Okay. I'm all ready. And, you, and you, look, you look very professional. Thank you. Okay. The headphones aren't too tight? Nope. It's, uh, I think I can, I can loosen them a bit. There we go. All right. And, and so, listen, if you need me... I'm here in this little microphone. Okay, this is the producer's mic. I'm your producer. Okay. Paul can't hear me. Only you can hear me. Okay. So if you're stuck or anything like that, I can, you know, you'll hear me in your earphone headset, and okay. uh, I'll, I'll give you, uh, you know, some questions, some tips, you know, anything okay. that I can do to help, okay? All right, we're going to get him on the uh, line, and uh, listen, uh, I th I, you're going to do a great job. Okay, and it's uh, Paul, right? It's Paul Tuff. All right. Hi, uh, uh, is this Paul? Yes, it is. Hi, Paul. Uh, uh, my name is Howard. I'm calling from the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. How do you do? How are you doing? Good. Um, okay, so now, now you're a writer, is that so? Uh, that's right. I'm a writer and an, and an editor for the New York Times Magazine. Do you find, like, when you, like, I know when I write, uh, my hand really aches a lot. Uh, do, you, do, you, do you, you know, do you have any kind of special, do you have, use, like, an ergonomic pen, or? We, 
We mostly do uh, do computers. Oh, I see. Okay. So, do you, I guess when you go to to school for that kind of thing, just typing part of the whole. Um, Move it along. <clears throat> um, 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 oh, okay. Um, so moving along. Um, so we'll get to the we'll get to the uh, to the article here. I understand. Um, oh, you know, I'm a, I'm a proud Canadian. I'm calling you know from the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, and I kind of feel uh, that I have a, a, a deep interest, like in anything that my nation does for for others. And I and I I, I just thought it was great to hear about um, how Canada was helping Harlem, and I just think that's a great thing. And I want to know. How you feel as an American about Canada helping, you know, like, like why, why does Canada have to help Harlem? Why can't America help itself? Why can't America help Harlem? Well, just, just to clarify, we're talking about, uh, about Jeffrey Canada here, uh, the, the, uh, the founder of the Harlem Children's Zone. And, uh, he, he actually grew up in the, in the South Bronx and, um, and he's been, been working in this organization for, uh, for, you know, 20 years now and, and, uh, a few years ago he, Innovative kind of uh, kind of program, but uh, but mm. it, it's still a pretty uh, pretty American uh, institution. Now, I I think I might I think I might be a little confused here. Now, when you say Jeffrey Jeffrey is is that now is that a, is that a city or is this like you know like like Barry Ontario or uh, um, uh, this is, Portland Maine? Uh, Je- no, Jeffrey Canada, the uh, the the man who's uh, is a. a a 52-year-old guy. He uh, he runs runs the the organization uh, that I wrote about there in the in the Times Magazine. Jeff, Jeffrey Canada, okay. the founder uh, founder and head of the Harlem Children's Zone. Howard, you didn't read the article. You didn't read the article. Oh, can you one, one second? Sure. Uh, no, I did. I I must Howard, have, I must have misunderstood. Howard, I'd r- 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 wrap, nope, wrap nope. it up. Uh, um, I'm being urged to move along. Um, now, if I can just quote from from your article, um, um, here we go. Canada knew there were success stories out there. There are always reports in the newspapers about special kids who overcame the odds. Well, here's another quote. Canada first came up with the idea for the Harlem Children's Zone in the mid-'90s, but it wasn't until a few years later. Hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, the, that's all true, but that that's Jeffrey Canada. I mean, it's just it's a second reference, so I, I don't repeat his first name each time. But, but would you think, taking into consideration that, that the guy's name is Canada, like that's kind of misleading. Like if my Again, name, it's, just, it's never come up. It, you know, uh, we've got a million and a half readers, and, and we haven't, uh, you know, I haven't heard from anyone that they didn't understand that we were talking about a person, not a country. Like, what are you proposing? I would have done. I guess my little disclaimer saying something to the effect of Jeffrey Canada is not the name of um, of a city in Canada. Where would you put this disclaimer in the article? Maybe somewhere at the top in bold. You wouldn't have seen it in bold. You didn't read the article. I'm well. I'm looking through it now, um, and I don't know. Maybe something like warning or caution. I, I mean, I you know I've done a lot of interviews on this story, and mm-hmm. uh, everyone else seemed to, to to have understood pretty pretty clearly. I mean, there's a there's a photo of of the guy uh, there on the on the opening spread, and the, he's on the cover of the of the magazine. Really, I, I feel like it makes it pretty clear that you know it, it's Jeffrey Canada. Do you, do you have it there in front of you? I, I, see, I, oops. Uh, be careful with the microphone. Uh, you know. well, the, the first sentence really kind of makes it pretty clear that, I mean, his, his name, Jeffrey Canada, is in, in, literally in the first sentence of the article. I mean, you read that, right? Yeah, I, I really thought it was like, you know, kind of like, um, like, you know, 
Pirate, say goodbye. Really you're, 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 you're tying up the studio for no um, reason. Mike, do, you, do you have any questions about the, the actual story? Because uh, I'm happy to talk about it, but... Uh, g- give me a second here. I'll just get out. I'm just going to... Did you know that Canada is the largest source of petroleum for the U.S.? I, I don't think that's true, actually. What is this program that, that uh, they, they, the publicist just told me you'd be calling at this moment, but they didn't really explain what the... What is this show? Howard, don't, don't tell him the name of the show. The show's called Wiretap, by the way. I assume this interview isn't actually going to go on the air. Um, if, if, um, if everyone would just give me a moment, I can maybe... Um, <clears throat> as, as I look through it now, I see it's about, uh, uh, you know, it's about you know, homelessness and, and kids who need help. And it's not about homelessness, actually. There's not, nothing about homelessness in there. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, I see now. Uh, all right, so so basically, um, um, you know, <clears throat> I, sh- I should probably wrap this up. I, so it's good to know. So that's it. So basically, uh, through his efforts, everything's better now. So everyone, all the kids in Harlem are, are okay now. Well, no, I mean, if you'd read the article, you'd know that everything's not okay now. Things are getting better. It's a good program. Uh, it's very f- effective. But, um, you know, these, these are early days. It's a, it's a difficult neighborhood, and uh, it's going to take some time to really, really change things there. But it's going to be a, a, a great day in Harlem, and we can we can see a new dawn. Where are you getting this stuff from? That doesn't even make any sense. I mean, it's one thing not to read the article, but I, I feel like you got to like listen to my answers. You're asking me questions. I'm answering your questions. I'm doing the best. You you know you call me up. You clearly haven't read the piece. We're proud of you letting you talk me into anything what? again. This is the end. Okay. Yeah, you hear what I'm saying now? I could lose my job. Okay. Do you understand? I could lose. I could get fired. Okay. I just need to close it. I'm just closing the piece. Well, you've been. You you better close it faster. Um, Who are you talking to? It's um. It's. I guess it's my producer. He's kind of like just hang up. Just hang. Just wants me to close to wrap it up. I guess you know, a, a new day in Harlem. A new dawn. Thanks to the efforts of Jeffrey Canada and Canada, a great nation. What are you talking about? We, I can't believe you're back on the thing with Canada. It's not Canada the country. It's Canada the guy, Jeffrey Canada. Paul Tuff, thank you so much for your article and for your time. I, you know, I, I, I feel like you wasted my time. The whole, the, this whole, the, you're, I mean, you're not putting this on the air, are you? This is, this is the stupidest interview I've ever done. And I'm Howard Chakwitz, live in Canadian Broadcasting Corporation offices. My producer has been Jonathan. Anybody want to thank Paul? It just it makes no sense to me. And and as an American, you have a right. That is your right. I think that's it. You were great. You were great. That was just great. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna go get myself a, a good sandwich and sit down with this article. It looked. I have to say, as we were talking, I was kind of going through it, and it really seemed interesting.
On Wiretap today, you heard Chris Levins, Howard Chakovitz, and Paul Tuff. Wiretap is written and performed by Jonathan Goldstein and produced by Jonathan Goldstein with Sarah Gilbert and Carolyn Warren. You can reach us by email at wiretap at cbc.ca. Wiretap returns next Saturday, and you can also hear the show on Tuesday nights at 8.30, 9 o'clock in Newfoundland.